The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. A bright light for me in this time of COVID has been taking a yoga teacher training course via Zoom. So it means that I'm immersed in a philosophy that celebrates reverence for life. The idea that all people, all animals, and even plants and the earth itself comprise a divine body, that whenever I greet a person or I see a sparrow, I've made contact with God. Now, we certainly all have different views on the big picture, but today I'm thinking that I want to live with this degree of respect for everyone with whom I share this planet. And whatever attitude expansion that takes, well, I'm open to expand. Hi, my good friends. I'm Victoria Moran, just about the luckiest person on earth that I get to join with all of you and host this program live every Wednesday afternoon on Unity Online Radio. And then it lives forever as a podcast. We are in our ninth year. And if you like what we do and can take the time to give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, oh my gosh, I would be so grateful. Thank you. After the break today, we are going to be looking at a very important social justice issue with John Lewis, the badass vegan, one of the filmmakers of the powerful upcoming documentary, They're Trying to Kill Us. And right now... On the phone, all the way from Israel, is Richard Schwartz, Ph.D., retired professor of mathematics, president emeritus of Jewish Veg, and author of a whole bunch of books, including Judaism and Global Survival, and one of my favorites, Who Stole My Religion? His next book, Vegan Revolution, will come out next month. Welcome, Dr. Schwartz. Great to be on the show, and I want to just commend you for all the years of involvement, and you've been such an inspiration to me, and uh, wish you much continued success. 
Oh, bless you. Well, you've been on a couple of times before, and on our show notes, we always right. have a blast from the past. <laughs> so we'll give people links uh, so that they can listen to other things that you've said for us in the past. But right now, you've got a new breaking story to share with us, a brand new Jewish holiday. What is it? Tell us about it. Okay, well, actually, in the ancient days, the days of the temple, unfortunately, there were sacrifices. They had something called... Uh, uh, the New Year for Animals. So my idea is to renew that holiday, but of course to make a major change, to transform it into a day devoted to increasing awareness of uh, really powerful Jewish teachings on compassion for animals, and also the fact that uh, realities today for animals are so far from these teachings. So that's to get these issues onto the agenda and uh, to make a difference because it's so important that people know today, for example, that factory farming is such a major contributor to climate change, the biggest threat to the world. So that's the so idea. What, what are the Jewish teachings about treatment of animals? Okay, well, Jews ought to be, as they say in Hebrew, Rachmanim B'nai Rachmanim, which is compassionate children of compassionate ancestors. We're supposed to emulate the God, according to Psalms 145-9, whose uh, compassion is over all of his works, all of his creatures. And there's many other Jewish teachings on that. And Judaism is like a test of religion. The greatest Jewish leader, Moses, and also King David, which shows him because compassion they showed while they were young as a shepherd, and many teachings. It's part of the Ten Commandments, by the way. There's not, not only are human beings to rest on the Sabbath day, but animals are, are as well. And there's teachings in the Torah, you can't yoke a strong uh, animal with a weak animal. You can't muzzle an ox while threshing in the field. If you have a pet, for example, you are not to sit down to your meal until you've made sure that that pet has been fed. Uh, so really strong teachings, and uh, unfortunately the reality is involved in that because, uh, you know, as President Emeritus now of Jewish Veg, we're trying to get Jews to realize that uh, many Jewish mandates point to that. Just briefly, six mandates that Jews are to uh, take care of our health, treat animals with compassion, protect the environment, conserve natural resources, help hungry people, and seek and pursue peace. Very strong mandates, but unfortunately being overlooked, and that's one reason I want to restore, as I said, and transfer the ancient holiday, and you know, get, get this issue to the forefront of Jewish thinking today. Now, give us the name of the holiday slowly so we can all hear it and understand Absolutely. it. Okay. Okay. It's basically everybody knows there's a Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, but there's actually four New Years in the Jewish tradition, and one of them was ancient New Year, really for tithing of animals. We're updating it and we're calling it the New Year for animals. But once again, uh, as a day to increase awareness, Judaism has these powerful teachings I just mentioned and many more. And the important thing is not only to have these teachings, but to put them into practice, because as you know, and I'm sure you've had on many shows, the terrible, terrible ways that animals are treated today in factory farms, really very contrary to Jewish values, but somehow, unfortunately, being overlooked. 
even though we say in Israel is the world capital for veganism, still the vast majority of Jews, just like uh, most people in other religions, still eat meat. And historically, explain this uh, to me, Dr. Schwartz. My understanding is that this holiday in the ancient times was actually when, when the animals were tithed, when every tenth animal was chosen right. to be sacrificed. Right. So tell us right. a little bit about that history of animal sacrifice and, and how Judaism outgrew that. Right. Well, actually, according to the great uh, Jewish laws of Maimonides, the whole idea of sacrifice was really concession to the ancient time. That was a common mode of worship. People didn't know any other worship. So that is part of Judaism. But it was a great step forward in that they eliminated, of course, the child sacrifice, human sacrifice. And it had to be in one central location. The idea was actually to wean the Jewish people away from these sacrifices. And the biblical prophets were very critical they didn't say they should be eliminated, but they said that God really is more concerned about justice and mercy. Matter of fact, sacrifices could be an abomination to God if carried out in, in a society with very unjust mercy, you know, compassion was not practiced. And uh, to think that that would be enough, you know, without acting more justly would not be working. And according to Ralph Cook, Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cohen Cook, who was the first chief rabbi of pre-state Israel, he felt if a third temple was reestablished, the only sacrifices would be that of grains and other uh, plant kind of materials. And he based that on the powerful prophecy of Isaiah, actually chapter 11, verses 6 to 9, where he said, in that ideal time, messianic period actually that Jews prayed for, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the lion will eat straw, the ox, no one shall hurt nor destroy in all of God's holy mountain. So uh, now it's like prayer and good deeds is uh, a substitute for uh, sacrifices. That is so beautiful. When you read that passage from Isaiah, the hairs on my arms stood up. (laughs) I always know that's special and important. So, this proposal, if I just uh, knocked on the door of one of my Jewish neighbors and said, do you know about this holiday? Would they know about it? And what are you and Jewish Veg and some of the rabbis involved doing to get the information out? Well, unfortunately, it's uh, very little known. You know, since 70 in the common era when the uh, temple, second temple was destroyed, there wasn't a need for the sacrifices. So that sort of has died out. Uh, so if you're not going to do many, except for very learned Jews, will not know about it. So again, we're trying to put it on the agenda. What we're trying to do is I am setting up, so in the planning stage, but the progress being made, I'm setting up three Zoom events for uh, August 20th, which is really the new uh, new month of Elul, which is really one month before Rosh Hashanah, when Jews are to examine their deeds and see how can we do things better. So three Zoom events, one in the U.S., one in the U.K., and one in Israel, where I hope to have rabbis and uh, environmentalists, vegetarians, vegans, medical professionals, indicating why it's important that we shift away from an animal-based diet, not only for the important reason that uh, 
the animals are so mistreated, but also for human health, for the environment, for better use of resources, reduce the waste of grains uh, to help the hungry people. So we're doing all that. Also, hoping to send out a press release to inform people about it, and I'm compiling lists of Jewish organizations, rabbis, other key Jews, and also powerful blurbs from rabbis, uh, all supporting this endeavor, you know, trying to get it more and more onto the agenda, hoping that it is a good start in the coming year. We'll really do a lot of planning so that can be celebrations of this new revised transformed holiday in the future. Right. And and it is very new. My understanding is 2009 yeah. was when it was first celebrated in just one place. So how do we get the information on these Zoom events? Do we go to Jewish Veg? Well, uh, still working on Maybe if, if people want to contact me, give my email address, which is veggierich at gmail.com. That's B-E-G-G-I-E-C-O-M at gmail.com, and we're hoping to have uh, links so that people can link to it. And uh, there will be, I guess, at various sites, and uh, I hope to have more information about that in the future. Okay, well, as you get more, we will put it on our show notes, and anybody who wants to write to Dr. Schwartz and get more information, Veggie Rich, that's with two Gs, at gmail.com. Calm. So um, in some of the notes that you sent me, you, you put somewhere that largely there's a very positive response from the vegetarian and vegan community and from some rabbis, right. but there's still what you said, <laughs> a lot of denial. How are you seeing that? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is, you know, you've probably heard the statement, <clears throat> denial is not just a river in Egypt. People, of course, you don't want to know. And it's like just a quick story. Uh, it helps explain it a little bit. There was a rabbi going out to give a talk, and his wife said, well, what are you going to talk about? And he said, I'm going to talk about how the wealthy should provide money for the poor. And when he came back, the wife said, well, how did it go? And he said, well, I'm halfway there. The poor are willing to accept the money. So it's like uh, <laughs> the vegetarians are very supportive of this. They like the idea, you know, it's, we need bold ideas because, for example, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has stated there's a need for unprecedented changes in the next 10 years in order to avert a climate catastrophe. So that's why I think we need bold ideas. I hope this is one of them to make a difference. It certainly is not going to be easy to bring back an ancient holiday that most people are not even aware of, but it's essential that we think out of the box and we do that kind of thing. So... It's getting uh, a very positive response from those who are aware of the importance of vegetarianism and veganism and uh, know about how animals are mistreated and know about the many benefits of vegetarianism. But it's hard to break through. People just don't want to know uh, about the negative ways animals are treated, for example. 
Well, some people do, and there are strong voices for for the animals, for the earth, and yours is certainly one of them. And one of the ways that you're getting the word out is through these wonderful books that you write. And I don't think I've told you, Dr. Schwartz, my husband is in an interfaith ministerial program focusing on the treatment of animals in the world's religions. And he has read two of Mm -hmm. your books. He's about to start on a third. So you've got a real mutual (laughs) admiration society going on over here and you do have a new book coming in just a month vegan revolution so tell us about that okay yeah vegan revolution and the subtitle is just a minor detail saving the world revitalizing judaism so you can see i have very high hopes there and uh, as you say, I'm living in Israel now, the vegan capital of the world, highest percent. And um, one reason I call it a vegan revolution also is there's such uh, shifts and abundance of plant-based substitutes for meats and uh, doing research, including in Israel, on just taking cells from animals in order to create meat. So hopefully avoiding all the massive uh, negative effects on animals. And... Um, uh, from my research, I find that unless there's a major, major shift toward vegan diets, there's unfortunately no way we're going to avert a climate catastrophe. I mean, this is the issue of our day, as you know. Amazing thing that every one of the years in this century, uh, 20 years is among the top 21 warmest years. This year is going to be way up there, might, might even break the record, you know, all. And uh, it's hope to revitalize Judaism in a sense. As I mentioned, Judaism has these powerful teachings and compassion for animals on the environment and helping the hungry. But unfortunately, uh, the uh, typical Jewish diet is far, far from this. Uh, there was a nutritionist, I forget his name offhand, who said, if the enemies of the Jewish people invented their diet, they couldn't have done a much better job. You know, there's so much meat uh, consumed in, in that case. So I'm hoping to have a major, major campaign based on this book to really spread the word because it's essential if we want a decent world for our children and grandchildren that we have to avert this climate catastrophe. And uh, an essential part is shifting with vegan diet. Just one other point. In 2006, the UN Food and Agricultural Organization concluded that animal agriculture actually emits more greenhouse gases and carbon dioxide equivalent than all the cars, ships, planes, all the means of transportation worldwide combined. And you think of all the cars and traffic jams and planes taking off and all, that means it's quite an extensive amount, mainly because of a lot of methane a very potent greenhouse gas emitted by cows and other farmed animals. It's huge. And my vision would be that somehow at least an electronic copy of your book could get in the mailbox of every rabbi on earth (laughs) and really, really start something huge there. So why do you think that that Judaism needs revitalization. And I think all of us, if we're part of any kind of spiritual or religious community, could say that for our own as well. What kind of revitalization is needed, and um, how would that change things? 
By the time I think you mentioned one of my books is Who Stole My Religion? And it's very strong that Judaism has these teachings, and every religion is based on compassion, has powerful teachings. But the important thing is, are they put into practice on an everyday level? And the fact that Judaism has these teachings about compassion for animals, that God uh, is concerned about animals every day in the prayers, Part of it says that God's compassion is over the earth, God's compassion is over uh, the animals, and the one we're supposed to imitate God in that way. So to have a religion with great teachings, but it's like next door, they're being violated, and people are not protesting, and people have this diet, in effect, they're violating very fundamental laws. Some Jews commendably, but it makes sure they're eating kosher food. They go to great extents on that. But on the other hand, they're eating meat based on super mistreatment of animals, and uh, they're hurting their own health, which is really uh, violating a Jewish important mandate. And perhaps most important, they contributing to the greatest threat to the world today, climate change and other environmental threats and also the very wasteful use of water, energy, and land, increasingly scarce items. So <laughs> there's a need for a change. It's uh, so interesting. When we think about what religions teach, there's so many wonderful moral teachings about how we're supposed to treat one another, and yet these other teachings sure. that have to do with other beings in nature seem to kind of get swept under the rug. Why do you think that is? Yeah, well, first of all, unfortunately, as you say, there's great teachings about uh, how people should work together, but even those are violated uh, and all. And in terms of the other beings, it's just... Uh, People are looking at the immediate uh, satisfaction and not uh, considering the overall the effect on the future. Also, the fact that so many are doing it. It's like I'm thinking now, uh, famous uh, psychologist Eric Fromm talked about what he called a socially patterned defect, that it was a defect because almost everybody else had it also, one fit in, and the alienated person can be the person who really is uh, doing the right thing. So it's partly habit, and it's partly tradition, and partly maybe just not knowing all the facts. Wow, that's fascinating. So the book, Everybody, is Vegetarian Revolution or Vegan Revolution? I want to give the title right. Vegan, vegan. Of course, we've moved away. Yes, my first book, Judaism and Vegetarianism, as time has gone on, Realize that animals raised for eggs and for dairy are probably mistreated even more than those raised for meat. And they also have the negative environmental effects and uh, negative health effects. Okay, so vegan revolution, saving the world and revitalizing Judaism. <laughs> so you Correct. mentioned before we started the show that you are in a wonderful retirement community there in Israel, but that most of Correct. the vegans are young people. So what do the people right. of, of your peer group think of your veganism? Okay, well, uh, again... Denial was not just a river in Egypt. And they accepted. I, I gave a talk on it here, and at the end somebody said, well, you know, we can't disagree with your arguments, but uh, 
one person said, you know, you're talking to the wrong audience. We're 75, 80, 85 years old. We've had to slide. We're not about to change now. So, uh, you know, we're never too old to change, really. But uh, people are just creatures of habit. And uh, part of tradition, you know, the parents ate meat, the grandparents, and uh, and often the parents and grandparents thought, boy, they're showing such love by giving them meat. And as you know, it was like a status symbol in previous days. Yes. So again, but thank God there's such a change in young people getting so much involved. And almost everybody I talk to here says, you know, I have a grandchild, two grandchildren, one's a vegan, one's a vegetarian. I just went to my granddaughter's wedding and it was all vegan. So, oh. so they're all, uh, <laughs> but the good news is that whereas years ago the vegetarians and vegans were on the defensive, now it's like people sort of, uh, you know, saying, you know, I only meet eat meat once a week, or I don't eat red meat, I don't eat chicken, or I'm really a vegetarian, but I eat fish, you know, it's, it's <laughs> like uh, knowing that there's something sort of wrong, so certainly I'm not on the attack, but most people just uh, love to avoid the subject, because they feel a bit guilty and don't want to discuss it. Yeah, so in, in Israel, is it more for animal reasons, or the environment, or, or health? Why, why are so uh, many people vegan? Uh, probably among the older people, if they do become vegetarian or vegan, it may be for health reasons, and it's like uh, trying to avoid the very negative effects if they've been eating meat for so many years. I think among the younger, it probably is animal issues. And Israel, by the way, does have some wonderful laws about compassion for animals, not quite enough to avoid uh, mistreatment on factory farms. But, for example, years ago, the, the Supreme Court here in Israel, based on the Israeli laws on animals, uh, banned the uh, production of foie, pate de foie gras. So, uh, so the, again, I think for the young people, it definitely is for the animals, maybe the older for health reasons, as they're trying to uh, reduce some of the health problems that they have in their 70s, 80s, and sometimes older. Well, all the reasons are great reasons, and I think, and all your books are great <laughs> books, so just to give those oh, titles again, Vegan Revolution, that's the new one coming thank out you. in September right. of 2020. Right. Others include Judaism right. and Vegetarianism, Judaism right. and Global Survival, and Who Stole My Religion? Also, Dr. Schwartz's uh, email is veggierich at gmail.com if you want to find out about the new holiday, the Rosh Hashanah for Animals <laughs> that will uh, be celebrated this year, uh, August 20th. So we're going to be looking right, for right. that, and hopefully there'll be Zoom celebrations that we can all take part of. And uh, wishing you just a wonderful life over there in the Holy Land with lots of uh, <laughs> great you. vegan food. <laughs> Thanks for oh, being thank with you. us today. Oh, my pleasure, and best wishes for your continued success. Thank you so much. Everybody else, stay with us. We're going to be back with John Lewis, the badass vegan. Don't go anywhere.
We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back to the program. A couple of little shout outs. Did you ever think that we would be wearing masks for this long? Well, we are. And so my feeling is, since we're going to wear them, let's rock them. So my good friend, Sharon Nazarian, she's the big city vegan, has made just the cutest vegan masks. So a mask with a message. You can check out her Instagram at Big City Vegan and check out those masks. They're just adorable. And you know what? We may as well protect ourselves and others and make a statement while we're doing it. So for anybody that is new to the program, I want to invite you to visit um, <laughs> MainStreetVegan.net. Uh, that's my website. You can find out about Main Street Vegan Academy, where you can train as a vegan lifestyle coach and educator, uh, and also about our film, A Prayer for Compassion, and our weekly blog, which this week I wrote, and it's called You Are the Bright Ones. And it features friends of mine, Laura Callan, who has Bright Zine and the Bright Coffee Space in London, and also um, Lita Dwight, who has Bright Life Foods, uh, vegan cheese and yogurt. And I was inspired that they both put bright in the name of their companies because maybe there really be, will be a bright future because of a lot of us doing good work. And that certainly applies to my next guest. He is John Lewis. Maybe you know him as Badass Vegan. This man has a powerful story, a powerful mission. You know him as a wellness advocate and an entrepreneur. Well, now he is also a filmmaker. And the film in the works is They're Trying to Kill Us. Powerful, powerful trailer. I can hardly wait for the whole film. Welcome, John Lewis. Hey, thank you so much for the invite. Hope you've been doing good. I have been doing just fine. You know, this is this has been the best quarantine of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. John, where where did all this this start? It's just start from the very beginning and fill us in. Well, it started uh, just basically seeing that there was so much pain and anguish and so much disease that was running through, you know, our communities and. I saw that there was a lot of people that really, really felt that many things that were happening to us were hereditary and that they had to happen and that they didn't have a bright side to the future. So I wanted to kind of show people that there there are bigger things at play uh, that are having an effect on us and that if we kind of change our aspect and the way we eat, the way we treat ourselves, our mental uh, state as well that we necessarily don't have to be a part of this matrix. So, give me a, a capsulization of the problem. Well, one of the biggest problems is that we've been basically paint. We've we've had this picture painted for us that 
you know, we have to eat a certain way in order to get healthy. And the reality is, is that much of that eating that has been deemed healthy for us has actually been the detriment for our people. And so you're talking about people in the African-American community. Yes, people in the African-American uh, community have been dealt this hand that we have to eat this meat, this dairy, these fried foods. It's our soul food. It's what we have been given to us uh, as a blessing and that we have to take it and we have to eat this. And what we've seen is that, you know, as the African-American community, we are, you know, highest among people with heart disease. Uh, we are three times more likely to have a limb cut off because of diabetes than any other uh, race in the in the country. You know, there's so many things that go along with that. But, you know, it's also the mental side that we think that that's supposed to happen to us instead of changing our habits to see that we have a better future. This is so deja vu. Our first guest was uh, Dr. Richard Schwartz, who called in from Israel, and he made a comment that someone had said that the traditional Jewish diet could have been designed by an enemy of the Jewish people. And how fascinating that you're echoing the, the same sort of sentiment. So tell us about the film. I mean, I didn't know that you, for example, uh, came from Ferguson, Missouri, that's mm -hmm. a story in itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was raised in Ferguson, Missouri. I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas, and my mother moved to St. Louis when I was two. And it was just a very interesting dynamic uh, to, to grow up in that, that area. Um, by the time I was 13, going into my freshman year in high school, I was already 315 pounds. Uh, and uh, we, we know each other personally, but... People that don't know, I'm 6'6 now, and I was not close to 6'6 at all at the time. So it was very, very apparent uh, of the weight gain. But it, it it came from just, you know, poor eating habits. You know, my mom did the best she could with the knowledge that she had. But, you know, everything was fried. Everything was processed. Um, everything had some kind of animal base to it, whether it might have just been spinach. But when we cooked it, we used butter. Or it may have been a salad, but when we used it, we used all these kind of salad dressings that had dairy in it. Um, you know, so it was so many different things. And, you know, I watched so many of my family members, you know, pass away from diseases that, you know, now knowing more about food and the power of the food, knowing that could have been, you know, eliminated. Wow. So as I watch this trailer, and everybody, just Google, trailer, they're trying to kill us. You, you will be blown away by the scope of the problem, the quality of the film, how you got these prominent people. I mean, you've got a <laughs> roster of, of hip-hop celebrities and plant-based doctors. I mean, it's, it's just such an amazing a group of people who are all saying the same thing. So what are they saying? Well, they're saying that there's a system in place to try to kill us. Uh, and it's not necessarily that they're trying to kill us, but they would love to keep us sick. Uh, one, one thing that I always express, even when I'm not talking about the film, just in general, is that the pharmaceutical industry is a $1.3 trillion industry. Just imagine if only 10% of the community that depended on these medicines healed themselves. That whole industry would collapse. You know, that's think about that one point three trillion dollars. Yeah, and and you gotta think about too, a lot of times with these 
medicines or what they call medicines, they don't even tell you that they're healing you. They say they help you to deal with the symptoms of. So instead of getting to the root problem of trying to solve the disease or the ailment, they're just putting you know tape on top of the problem. And I'm not saying that there aren't medicines that aren't needed. There aren't surgeries that aren't needed. But there are some times and many times that we can eliminate a lot of uh, problems by just changing our habits. Yeah. And that's what these people that I'm interviewing, they're, they're reiterating what I'm saying. Whether it be doctors, politicians, we interview a whole scope of, uh, and range of people. Yeah, I, I just can hardly wait. I mean, it's very unusual for me to get this excited just by a trailer. You know, that Thanks. that's almost like here, I, I'm making a cake, have a crumb. But <laughs> it's it's Thanks. very, very exciting. I, I watch it uh, over again because I've, I've watched it, shown it to my husband. I've turned it on and watched it with my daughter, even though she's in Vermont and I'm here. But I want everybody to know about it. And is it too late for people to be part of this? Is the Indiegogo campaign still going on? Can people come yeah. on as supporters and producers? Yes, that's actually ending on, well, no, it's not too late, I'm sorry, but it's actually ending on uh, Friday. Um, okay. And we have packages, like, we didn't want it to be like an Indiegogo that just, hey, come help us out. We wanted the people to be a part of it, like you said. Um, everything from t-shirts to honorable mentions actually on the film to executive producers, they can actually, you know, purchase packages and be a part of the film in that way. Okay. Uh, and we're, we're so appreciative of everybody that's actually been a part of it. Uh, even if they're just spreading the word about it, we appreciate it. Well, we'll put that link on our show notes at MainStreetVegan.net as well. And I took the liberty of making a tiny URL <laughs> so that it would be easier to say on the air. And that is, if you want to help, if you want to even be a producer of this amazing film, www.tinyurl.com slash film. The film is they're trying to kill us. So trying film, uh, help out and be part of this. So, John, there are a lot of great films out there, a lot of great documentaries. What's different about yours? I would say the fact that we are solution based with this film. You know, a lot of a lot of films will tell you, you know, this is the problem. Everything's going to you know to hell <laughs> uh you watch out and then they just leave you hanging i wanted my film to be solution based i wanted people to understand that while they are trying to do something that doesn't mean they have to succeed and it's up to us i want people to feel empowered once they watch this film i want to, people to understand that they possess the power to change the scope of their life and not only just their life but their family's lives as well their children their nieces and nephews, even if it's some kid that watches them up, you know, on the same neighborhood. I, I want people to understand that we can take control of our health narrative. So what is the degree of understanding right now before your film comes out in the African-American community about this health situation? Obviously, just about everybody is awake to police brutality and, and those issues. So where where are people with with this other understanding i think we are at a dynamic time that we've had a compound of so many different aspects just hit us all at once uh not that they haven't always been there but i think it's more recognizable now you know even with the pandemic you know people are starting to see that 
health is a big, big factor. You know, you know, back in the day, if you said anything about being, you know, obesity or eating habits, people took it as a shaming thing. When in reality, uh, especially for me, I would say it was more of a precautionary thing. Like, hey, understand that these these type of uh, side effects do come along with this disease. Now, I think people are starting to see that with the current aspect of COVID, it didn't matter your religion, who you loved, how much money you made, the color of your skin. If it could attach to you, it attached to you. And once it got into your system, it found out how healthy you are and how long it was going to stay, take you out, whatever the case is. I think people are starting to realize that our health is more important than just what people try to put off as just a, a pastime. So people now are starting to realize we have to take our health into our own hands. We have to, you know, not work out to be a fitness model, but we do have to work out to kind of keep our body in motion because that's all part of the play to staying healthy. We have to watch our intake of fried fatty foods, processed goods, you know, too much fat, too much cholesterol. All these things are 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 at play. And I think people are now more inquisitive and they want to see how can I save my own life now? Mm. Well, we've uh, featured Hip Hop is Green a few times on this program. And I'm fascinated by all of these celebrities that you have in, in your film. Are, are they vegan or nearly vegan? What's the deal with these people that we've all heard of and didn't maybe know that much about their food choices? I will... I will say that uh, the the people that were in the trailer actually are vegan. Everybody from the doctors, the politicians, the hip hop wow. artists, the athletes. Um, there may be a couple people along the way that are not vegan as we conduct more interviews because social justice is a huge side of the film as well. Yes. And we do want to we do want to make sure that we talk about the social justice aspect of it. Um, but yes, yeah, for the majority. They, they are vegan that are in the film. And we that was one of the premises of it because I wanted to show that, you know, because hip hop being the number one genre in the world and it's got so much to everybody that I, that I wanted to show that because hip hop is so influential, people follow what they dress, what they, where they travel to, you know, even what they name their kids, you know? Uh, I wanted to show also that what they eat is very important as well. Wow, that is, I knew about Gray and I knew about the gentleman from Dead Prez, but you pretty much, I mean, that that's a huge number of, of um, people in the entertainment field who are vegan. That's, that's thrilling. So, Let's let's move a little bit on to the, the real celebrity of this film, and that would be you. So <laughs> what what led you to to go vegan? Um, first of all, I don't I don't see myself as a celebrity, but thank you. Um, uh, but I would say, you know, my first recollection of me even thinking about it was my mother was diagnosed with colon cancer. Oh, my and uh, so sorry. Yeah, she, she's still alive. She's still kicking. Ooh. I still haven't got her to go vegan yet, but um, I, I always say that I I believe in learning from everybody's mistakes, not just your own. And I believe if somebody makes a mistake, it's up to us to pay attention to that so we don't go down the same road as well. And, and that's kind of what I took from 
that situation. Um, when I found out she had colon cancer, I talked to the doctors, you know, I asked, how did this happen? They told me, you know, too much fried fatty foods, too much animal protein. And right then, you know, I remember saying, so wait, this is not hereditary. And the doctor was like, no, this is a lifestyle choice. And so I didn't go vegan immediately, but I did more research. And the more and more research I saw is just that these animal proteins that we're eating are not just associated to just cancers, but you start diving into hypertension and heart disease and, you know, so many different ailments that are plaguing uh, not just the African-American community, but the community at, at large. And so what's your life like? What do you eat? How do you work out? What is it like to be the badass vegan? <laughs> uh, it's probably boring to other people, but it's very exciting to me. Uh, <laughs> I would say the majority of my day is spent editing film, working out, uh, taking care of the kids, and and just, you know, keeping, keeping abreast of what's going on within, you know, the fitness industry. Because I like to keep... I'd like to keep up on that because I believe that fitness is a way of life. I know a lot of people have gotten away from that, but I do believe being physically fit uh, makes your life longer it, in the long run. You know, one of the things a study I saw recently was that uh, people that only take up to 2,000 steps have a 75% higher mortality rate than anybody wow. else. And people that only take up to 6,000 steps, that is cut down to uh, 25%. So imagine going from 75 to 25% just by adding those steps. And people that take up to 10,000 steps, they cut their mortality rate all the way down to 6%. So that's mm. a huge difference. And and the, the great part about that is those 10,000 steps, it doesn't matter the intensity of the steps. So you could be running a marathon or you could just be walking around the house or you could just be walking around the neighborhood. It doesn't matter the intensity. It's just the amount of steps that you take. And well, so, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. That's really good to hear because I have a dog who likes to stop a lot. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm not getting any cardio out of this, but I'm getting some steps. And then what were you going to say, John? Well, no, I was just saying, you know, just for people that think, you know, well, I can't run yet. It's like, no, it's not about the run. It's about getting the actual steps in. Very cool. So what do you see? I, I asked about how the African-American community in general is um, aware of and open to veganism. How about the fitness industry? I feel like they're about the most stubborn <laughs> group of people they've got it so right about exercise and yet they're stuck back in the 1960s on the diet so often yeah they they it's a it's a very it's a very very fickle industry where they are stuck in their ways but i, I believe that a lot of people are opening their eyes uh, people are starting to see the longevity of it and and this goes for anything uh, I, I deal with a lot of vegans that are always like, well, how do I influence people to go? Or how do I have a conversation with people? And I tell people that the best conversation you can have with people is to be the best example of veganism that they've ever seen. And I believe when you do that, you kind of eliminate the whole, you know, the, the whole aspect of people really doubting it. A lot of times you get people that are like, oh, well, veganism is this and or I tell people, stop sending people my page. I love it. You know, I appreciate that people are, you know, promoting me. But at the same time, you have to be that living proof that it works. 
You have to be the one that shows them this is how great you can live. This is how happy you can be. This is how healthy you can be. So I believe if more fitness people, professional or not, start to do it, then people within the industry will be more intrigued with it. But right now, it's more, you know, it's just a myth. People don't believe it can happen. And when they do see it happen, it's just one every thousand, you know, cases. But the more and more times that people are actually involving themselves in in the fitness industry and showing that it can be done, then it'll help. And then the, the other flip side is that a lot of people on the other, on the, I guess, carnivore side, they believe that anybody that's in shape and vegan is on steroids or some kind of drug. <laughs> so we got to get that out the way too. You know, like I've, I've been accused of being on steroids so many times. It's not even funny. And I'm like, I'm 6'6", 230. Those aren't even steroid numbers. I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting here at this, you know, massive person, but it's just that people just have been duped to believe that there's no way you get the sufficient vitamins and minerals that you need to survive. Uh, within the vegan lifestyle. Yeah. Now, I, I heard your drug of choice is kale and spirulina. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. I love yeah, me yeah. some spirulina. <laughs> There's a rumor going on about that. So I want to ask you about the filmmaking process, because I was part of the film last year, Prayer for Compassion, and I wasn't the filmmaker, so I wasn't there with the nitty-gritty. But even just being around that process was so thrilling and so many people want to do it but it can seem really daunting so this is your first film how how did you start uh well you know i've I've done my smaller projects mostly my own just uh editing and producing and filming and uh keegan my co-director who if anybody's seen what the health or cowspiracy or running for good uh he was co-director and director of uh, those films. Uh, We have been friends for quite some years and he actually approached me. He's like, hey man, I wanna work together and see what we can do. And I was like, well, I I would love to. I said, I think the biggest thing though is we we have to help out people of color. I think they're the demographic that's been kind of left behind when it comes to the vegan movement. And he was totally in agreement with that. And he said, but how do we do it? And then that's when I said, you know, I think if we use hip hop, that'll, reach everybody and and i use this example and this is exactly what i told him i said if you ever want to see how influential hip-hop is if you close your eyes and you envision a bunch of six foot white guys on ice skates with jay-z playing in the background you just saw the nhl you just saw the national hockey league you know and that's how powerful it is like who would imagine that that would be a case but that is a case you know and even though it's kind of controversial right now what's going on, but if you think about it, the number one Broadway show is hip-hop infused, Hamilton. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's so influential. And that's where I wanted to go with it. And and you know, fast forward to four years later, we've been making this film for four years. Uh just it's such an educational process to do it. And and I'm blessed that it's just the two of us doing it. So I got more of a hands-on training. Uh, but it's a training that's literally like, hey, you're going to learn as we go. So it's um, it takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings. Um, and then on the flip side, not just even the ed- editing part, you know, being a producer 
as well. A lot of phone calls, a lot of meetings, a lot of uh, Skype calls, Zoom calls. Uh, <laughs> you can imagine, you know, dealing with all this. And a lot of people don't know my, my I have an undergraduate in marketing and I have a master's in business. So it's kind of right up my alley, but it's still a lot. It's still like, whoa, we just we just did this and we just had this conversation with this star or this business mogul. And, you know, this is a, a kid from Ferguson, you know, that many deemed wasn't supposed to even be doing this, you know. So it's it's a great, a great thing. And I always tell people, like, if you have a goal, if you have a dream, you just got to go for it because, you know, they're gonna, there's going to be people that don't believe in your dream and it's not their job to believe in your dream. It's your job to always never, always believe in it and never give up. Wow. Wow. That is so inspiring. So everybody, you want to be part of this. You have until Friday. You have until August <laughs> the 6th, tinyurl.com slash trying film. In our final minute, John Lewis, what do you hope that viewers will gain from seeing your film? Uh, like I said, empowerment. I want people to feel empowered. I want people to feel that they do have hope and they do have a chance to be healthy and to be around for the kids and their grandchildren and, and not be so worried about, you know, these ailments that have been deemed deathly, uh, when we can actually change our life, we can change our family's life. We can do it for the better. And it's not, it doesn't take a, a you know, a session with a guru, you know, a $10,000 surgery or $30,000 surgery in some aspects. It's just changing our habits and believing in ourselves to have the power to change those habits and understand that, you know, within this last minute, sorry, but I always say that the government messed up on a lot of things, but the one thing they got right is when they called it the FDA, because food is a drug. It's the most addictive drug that we'll ever put in our body. And when you understand that, you can overcome any addiction once you realize that you are an addict in the first place. Well, you're speaking to a food addict with 36 years plant-based recovery, so you are speaking my language, badass vegan. Go. There we go. Bless you. Thank you so much. All the best to you and Keegan and everybody. The film is They're Trying to Kill Us. Watch the trailer. God bless. Eat your veggies. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.